you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Our main text is going to be 2 Peter chapter 2. But um, I want us to look at 1 Peter 1. Then we'll go to 2 Peter 2 and go back to 2 Peter 2. We have several scriptures this morning. Um, and so um, if you, we'll try to have them on the screen for you. And if you can jot them down, maybe look them up later, that'll save some time. But uh, we want to look at 1 Peter 1. As I share with you a sermon entitled, The Security and the Sureness of Our Salvation. Now, on Sunday night, I've been sharing for the last eight weeks, um, a balanced look at election. And we've been going through the five major pillars of uh, Calvinism. We'll cover the last one of those tonight as we look at perseverance of the saints. But it's been a good study. And that study kind of led to this sermon. And I want us to look at some words. I wanted to include all the words today. Uh, but I'm only going to be able to include one. This may be a part one of two or three part series. But Second Peter chapter, First uh, Peter chapter one, and we want to look at verse two. First Peter chapter one, verse two. He begins by introducing himself in a salutation. And said in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now you might want to underline foreknowledge. We're going to look at that word in depth this morning. The elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now, if you will, turn to Second Peter. Second Peter. Now, let me just mention the book of First Peter was written to the elect. And so in Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence... To make your calling an election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Some translations say you shall never stumble. Second Peter 1 verse 10. We're confronted, if you'll notice there, we're confronted first. He says, look with diligence. And we're confronted about our calling we're confronted about our election. He says, look at your calling, look at your election, and make sure that you're saved. So, 2 Peter 1.10 introduces us to this marvelous doctrine of election. A doctrine that has confused some and has confounded others. 
One seminary professor said it this way. He says, you try to explain election and you will lose your mind. Or you try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. Now, most of us today as Christians believe that salvation begins with God and not with man. Salvation begins with God and not with man. John 15, verse 16, jot that verse down. John 15, 16 says, You, speaking of Jesus, ye have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I've chosen you. You've not chosen me. Salvation begins with God. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the lost sinner does not seek after God, but God seeks after the lost sinner. In Luke 19, verse 10, I'll just quote that. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save those that are lost. And so God's, because of his love, he's looking and he's searching after the sinner. Therefore, the Bible teaches that God chooses us. He chooses us really even before the universe was created. He purposed that our salvation would rest on his grace and not on what we've done. Salvation begins with God and not with us. Salvation rests upon his grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation rests, begins with God. He's purposed that our salvation rests on his grace and not on what we've done. Now, in Ephesians 1, verse 4, the Bible says, According as he has chosen us in him from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Meaning that God chose us in Christ and not in ourselves. You see, therefore, salvation begins with the Lord And not with us. He chose us for a purpose. And that purpose was to be holy and without blame. So the point in the Bible, election is always unto something. It is a privilege that carries a great responsibility. Now please remember this. Make a note of this. That all three three persons in the Godhead, all three persons in the Trinity are involved in our salvation. God the Father, as far as God is concerned, you were saved, I was saved when God chose Christ in eternity past. But that alone didn't save us. As God the Son is concerned, you were saved, I was saved when he died on the cross and he made a perfect provision for our salvation. And as far as God the Holy Spirit is concerned, you were saved when you yielded to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you received Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. All of this means, concerning your salvation, 
that what began in eternity past was fulfilled in time present and will continue throughout all eternity. Now remember, we're speaking about the security and the sureness of our salvation. It began in time past. It began in time past when we, when God before decided that he would provide salvation for mankind. And then along came the provision through Jesus Christ, and along comes the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so as far as God the Holy Spirit is concerned, we were saved when we yielded to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and we received Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so what began in eternity past was fulfilled in time present. It'll continue throughout all eternity. Now look at 2 Peter 1 verse 10. Back to that text. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Now there's a fact. The fact is... The security is the issue that we're dealing with in First and Second Peter. Um, the security, the uh, eternal security of the believers, what we're dealing with. So eternal security, the eternal security of the believer. Or to put it another way, the, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to keep those who come to him to be their personal Lord and Savior. And so first and second Peter really are about the, the, the security and the sureness of the believer. So therefore today I want to talk about this word election and deal with that subject as that word magnifies our salvation. Now, if you would turn to a familiar passage as you think about election, and it's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we want to look at... Uh, Verses 28 through 31. Romans chapter 8. Joel has it on the screen. Look at verse 28. And we know, and we know. Now remember, every verse is dealing with the security of our salvation. Let me say this, not only verses 28 through 31, but every verse in that entire chapter deals with our, our eternal salvation. Could read the whole chapter, but let's look at verse 28 through 31 and remember that every verse is dealing with the security of our salvation. He says, we know. Aren't you happy that we're able to have an absolute truth when it comes to our salvation? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he did, there's that word, foreknow. And whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. Another word we're going to look at. To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. There's a word we need to know. We, we God predestinate. He also called, and whom he called, he did what? He justified, and, and, and those he justified, he did what? He glorified. Look at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. So these verses are magnifying our security, our assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Adrian Rogers preached a sermon, titled his sermon uh, on this passage, I noticed was five foundational stones for assurance coming from Romans chapter 8. So this morning I want... I want you to know where I stand on my soteriology. You remember that word, you that are here on Sunday night? Soteriology, it's a doctrine. It's a doctrine about your salvation. It's a doctrine of salvation, the theology of salvation. And it's not based on some philosophy, but it's based on the word of God. And I want us to deal with the one word this morning, the time we have remaining, and that's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. The Bible says God foreknew. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. And so he speaks of foreknowledge. So when the Bible speaks of, about God's foreknowing us, he uses, he uses a Greek word. That Greek word is prognoskos, and it means to know ahead of time. God foreknew. God foreknows ahead of time. When my dad died March the 13th, 2002, God knew ahead of time that dad was coming home. God knows ahead of time. We hear the word omniscience. We speak of God's omniscience, his all-knowing. Nothing catches God off guard. Nothing comes to God by surprise. Sam Cathy, an evangelist, said it this way. He said this. He said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? God's all-knowing. Nothing ever occurs to God. Foreknowledge means that God knows the future. God sees the past. God sees the present. God sees the future. And he sees all of that at the same time. I like the definition that that Frank Page gave in his book, Trouble with Tulip. He said this, the definition of foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is a divine attribute of God, whereby God sees all things and knows all things in present tense. In other words, there's no past, present, or future with God. 2 Peter 3, 8, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. It's important to note that with God, neither time nor space limits him in any way. It's important to note this if we're going to understand foreknowledge. God understands eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. And then he goes on to make this statement. Somehow those who have gone to an extreme belief in Calvinism have adopted a belief that because God knows what will take place, therefore he's totally responsible for all that does take place. Calvinism prides itself on being a logical system. Some believe that the logic of Calvinism pulls them to the conclusion that since God has predestined salvation, he controls, his, his control extends far beyond that aspect of life. Please keep in mind the definition that foreknowledge is a divine attribute. When we use the word foreknowledge, it doesn't mean God is, is foreordaining something to take place. He's God. He's sovereign. 
He can do anything that he wants. But we're talking about God knowing the past, God knowing the present, God knowing the future. And the word means knowing beforehand. We don't understand all about the foreknowledge of God. But the point is, we believe that God sees the faith of every person. Now, I believe before God, every laid the foundation of the earth. God looked out into the future, and he saw a he saw an eleven year old boy in nineteen sixty two walk down an aisle at, at Rockwood Baptist Church and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. I believe God foreknew that. Amen. The point is a foreknowledge that God saw you except in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. God saw you. God saw you getting saved. He has that foreknowledge. So the question then comes, is the foreknowledge just true for the elect? Some will say that. And then that brings another question. Who are the elect? Are you the elect? Am I the elect? Who are the elect? Let me tell you, no preacher knows who the elect are. Adrian Rogers said it this way. I liked it. He said, since no one knows who the elect are, let's just nominate everybody. And Adrian said, I'm going to preach to everybody so everybody can be elected. I like that. See, I'm not to preach election. I'm called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for all to hear and have an opportunity to come to Christ to be their Lord and Savior. I believe the elect are the whosoever will. In 1962, at Rockwood Baptist Church, I chose to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I chose that. I chose, I made that decision. Now some would say, now wait, 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 wait. I thought God chose you. But listen, God chose me before the foundation of the world to be able to receive his son, Jesus Christ, where I could choose him. So God chose me where I could choose him. God chose you where you could choose him. Not that, you know, God has, the Bible said that God has set his love on us. Not that you love God, but God loves you. And God loves me. So God loved me, and I fell in love with God, and I chose God. And I realized that God is, is sovereign, and at the same time I chose him. God had made provision for anyone who would come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. I really believe that the elect are the whosoever will. Now, when you deal with this foreknowledge, you get into some problems. The first problem, I'll mention a couple in the time I have remaining. The first problem, if God always knows who's going to be saved, then it's settled. And we don't have a choice. That's what some believe. Now, God knows the choice that we're going to make, but it's still our choice. God foreknows that. He's God. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knew the choice that I was going to make. But I made the choice. Someone said, you know, I don't like that song, I have decided to follow Jesus, because you, you, because you, you make no decision whatsoever in the process. Well, that's saying that you don't have a free will. 
And very few Calvinists will say that you don't have a free will because of the moral responsibilities that all of us have. I make a choice not to kill. I make a choice not to steal. I make a choice to love my neighbor as myself. I have this this physical, moral, free will to choose, but I also have this spiritual free will to choose to receive Christ or to reject Christ. The point is we all have a moral free will, but we have a spiritual free will to receive Christ or to reject Christ. Christ, and that's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, not just the elect, but the people of the entire world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, is predestination in the Bible? Yes, it is. We'll talk about that another time. Foreknowledge in the Bible? Yes, we're dealing with that right now. Is free will in the Bible? Yes, it is. In several places. So you have the first problem. God knows everything. We don't have a choice. One problem with foreknowledge. The second is, I noticed, that God has nothing to do with it, and it's man's choice. Some derive that from foreknowledge, but not according to John six forty four. In John six forty four, the Bible says, "No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day." Listen, friend, you won't get saved until the Word of God speaks to you. The Spirit of God breaks your heart, brings you to conviction of your sin, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you need to get saved. Now, here's the point. Now, now listen, this is important because there's a warning in this right here. If you're in this service this morning, And you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And you're getting this tug at your heart that that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you need to do. When I give an invitation in just a few minutes, we'll talk about an invitation also. When I give an invitation in a few minutes and you feel that you feel that tug in your heart and you're convicted of your sin, and that you need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, you had better get up out of that seat and come to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior while you can and while the Lord is drawing you. You cannot come to Him anytime you want to come to Him. It's not all about man, but it's about God and man. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Notice what it says. Wherefore the rather, brother, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. You shall never stumble. And he puts calling and election. You see that? He puts calling and election together. And why does he do that? Because they belong together. Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, the same God who elects his people also ordains the means to call them. So when the Bible says that God chose you, the Bible says that God foreordained the plan of Jesus so that there would be a perfect provision for the elect to be saved. A.T. Robinson said this in his word studies. He says that, 
that the same Greek word for calling is the same word used for invitation. So when, when there is a calling by a pastor, a preacher, when there's a calling by the preacher, you know, in the Word of God, from Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, all the way through Revelation 22, verse 17, over 600 times, God is inviting man to come. Over 600 times, God is given an invitation. God is inviting man to come. From the time in Genesis where he says, Adam, where are you? That's an invitation to come. That's a call. All the way to Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, when he says the spirit and the bride say come. The spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? The church. The spirit says come. The church says come. Him that heareth say come. Him that is a thirst say come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. All of that's a call. All of that is an invitation. And according to A.T. Robinson, the word, now get this, the word election actually translates actually acceptance. Or actual acceptance, I should say. So the word, the word election translates to actual acceptance. So how does God call us? He calls us, and we'll study this later on, by the gospel. And when we accept the gospel, the actual acceptance, that's when I become the elect of God. You become the elect of God when you get saved, when you actually accept Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. People say, well, uh, you know how you find out that you're one of the elect? It's real easy. You get saved. (laughs) And when you get saved, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Let me just share this in closing. I don't believe that God has limited his offer to man to be saved. I don't believe in, in uh, limited atonement. I believe in unlimited atonement. I believe Christ came and died on the cross for everybody in the entire world. And God has never decided to save some and not save all. Because God foreknew whether... We would get saved, but God left that to the free will of man to trust Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. God gave an invitation, and there was an actual acceptance on your part. And when you made that actual acceptance, you became the elect of God. So when he speaks to the elect, you say, well, here I am, Lord, I'm listening. John chapter 6, verse 37, I'll close with this. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Here's the point. You can be sure that everybody God knows will be saved, will be saved, and they'll come to Christ, and he'll receive them, and he will not refuse a single one that comes to him. God knows the future before the future happens. 
And God saw an 11-year-old boy getting saved in Rockwood Baptist Church because of his foreknowledge. Aren't you glad of God's foreknowledge? I mean, aren't you glad if you're going through a terrible time right now in your life that God knows how it's all going to work out for your good and your benefit? That's foreknowledge. Romans 8, 28. For we know, for this we know, that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that because we know God's foreknowledge and that he can see it in advance and what's going to happen and what's going to take place and work the things out to our good and our best for our life. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to dive into this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter and 2 Peter and look at that word foreknowledge. Thank you, Lord, for knowing everything in the past, present, and future. Thank you for looking down the future and seeing and working out the good for Mountain View Baptist Church, for each individual member of this body, for our own personal lives. Thank you for what you're going to do even today in this invitation. And Father, this is, a, this is your invitation. This is your calling to people who are being convicted right now and being drawn by your Holy Spirit to be saved. And I pray today, Lord, that they would not reject you, but they would receive you into their life. There may be some other decisions that need to be made this morning. Father, in regards to rededication of life or transfer of membership, whatever you're leading them to do, I pray today they would respond to your call, your invitation. She speak to our hearts. Thank you for what you're going to do. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.